have your Bibles tonight, be turning over to the book of John, chapter 4. And uh, I do want to kind of reiterate what Brother uh, Luther said. If uh, you deacons need a meeting, you need to tell him and tell him what it's about so he doesn't go into it blind. And he usually then informs me for the next two months, and then he'll inform Brother John as to what's going on. Uh, the pastor's responsible for everything. He ought to know what's going on. And uh, it, it might be a temptation when Brother John takes over to say, well, he's young and he doesn't know what's going on or something like that, but he's still going to be your pastor. He still knows what uh, needs to know what's going on. And uh, was a deacon's meeting or a ladies' meeting or whatever, uh, he needs to, now he don't need to know necessarily what you do in the class, but if you have a meeting of any kind, uh, he needs to know about it because ultimately he's responsible. And uh, we kind of let a few things slide. We need to do things in the order that God set them forth for us to do them in. All right. If you have your Bibles tonight, you found John chapter 4. If you'll stand with us, we'll start reading at verse 19 and read down through verse 24. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper, uh, let me make sure I read that right, the true worshipers, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you again tonight, Lord, for the opportunity of standing here. We pray, Lord, for physical strength and spiritual strength, Lord, to de deliver the message that you sent our way. And God, may the Holy Spirit take what's been said tonight and even though we might stumble and miss and forget, uh, God, we realize he's able to convict hearts, Lord, and to teach us what we need to know. And Father, I'll pray that he'll do that tonight. Lord, that he'll get honor and glory out of this service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to talk about integrity in our worship. Uh, this is a familiar story that's found here in the fourth chapter of the book of John, and we read just a small portion of it. And uh, it gives us some good instruction if we'd read the whole story about salvation, about being saved and being sure we're saved and being saved eternally. But that's not the story I believe that God wants us to dwell on tonight. And uh, as we look at our responsibility as a child of God, at uh, and the true worship of him. We talk a lot about our service to him. But I tell you, our worship of him is an entirely different matter. Do you know there's people who could, in a sense, serve God and never worship him? And I'm convinced that that does not please God. And one of the reasons I'm convinced of that is the story of Mary and Martha. 
Martha was serving the Lord Jesus Christ. She was about the business of preparing the meal and no doubt cleaning the house and fixing the beds and all of that. And uh, he said that's good that she does that. But he said Mary chose the better part because she chose to worship. And that says to me that God puts our worship of him far above our service. But I'm also convinced that if we worship him aright, we'll serve him aright. And so God help us tonight that we might be able to understand the main question that uh, I believe God would have us to dwell upon. Is there integrity in my worship? I don't have to talk about Brother Rex's worship or Brother Jeremy's or Brother Max or anybody, but is there integrity in my worship? Now you say, well, what does the word integrity mean? We read that a lot of times and we say, well, I've heard that before and I believe I know what it means, but we never stop to uh, absorb what it really means. It means an uprightness. It means an honesty. It means a sincerity. It is our honesty and sincerity in your worship of God. Our text in verse 23, uh, we read these words. But the hour cometh and now is that the true worshiper shall worship the Father, what in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. He seeks those that would worship him in spirit and in truth. And so this indicates if God seeks those to worship him in spirit and in truth, there are some who attempt to worship him that don't do it in spirit and truth. We read over in the book of James, we'll not turn there, but if you want to look in chapter 1 and verse 27, he talks about there the pure religion. He that has pure religion. Now religion is out out of, let me get my tongue untangled so I can say this, is the outward expression of what should be inside. And uh, so God talks here about pure religion. And again, I say the same thing that I said a moment ago. If there is a pure religion, there must be an unpure religion. And God help us that we'd understand the difference tonight and uh, understand that it happened to God's people in the Old Testament. Over in the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter uh, 2, I'll read if I, if I can find Jeremiah here. In chapter 2 of Jeremiah, And I read in the 13th verse, For my people, that's who the New Testament church is, isn't it? Of our day, my people. He says here, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of the living water. Now who's that? That's the Lord. They've forsaken the fountain of the living water. And they've hewn out cisterns Broken cisterns, cisterns that cannot hold water. In other words, God said here was the all-sufficient God. And he wasn't enough to satisfy your desires. And so you decided to go out here and build a religion of your own hands. And he says it won't hold water. It won't do what it's supposed to do. So tonight it's easy to 
talk about America and her problems, and we've got many, haven't we? It's easy to talk about our state, and man, we've got plenty of problems in the state of Tennessee. We've got gambling. They call it lottery. We've got gambling on every hand. We've got liquor for sale in almost every corner. Uh, and, and we could go on and on. They're talking about now trying to build a distillery over in Cannon County. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if it don't get approved. I'm telling you, Tennessee's in bad shape, just like the United States of America's in bad, bad shape. And I want to bring it just a little bit closer to home. What about our church? Have, as we consider our church, have we backslid a little bit on some of the stands we used to take, on some of the standards we used to have? Have we backslid a little bit on those? I'd say in many cases we have. We, we backed off a little. We may not be as strong. But you know, I don't even want us to talk about the church tonight because I want us to consider ourselves. That's the only one that we really have complete control over is ourselves. And the real problem of the hour, the real problem tonight of the hour is what about me? Am I a true worshiper of God? I'm made to ask the question, does my character line up with my reputation? You know, I look out over this audience and just about every person in here has a reputation of being a good Christian. But your reputation is what other people think about you. But your character is what God knows about you. Now, does my character line up with my reputation? There's nobody really knows that except me. I heard one evangelist say one time, a character is, is what that cockroach that lives under your refrigerator knows about you. When nobody else is home, how do you act? When, when you're out somewhere on a job by yourself, how do you act? Maybe when you're away from home, on vacation or something, something like that, how do you act? Now, Brother... Uh, John and, and Brother Jeremy and Brother Roger went off somewhere last week and uh, nobody knows hardly where they went or what they done. But I'm confident they were right. I have that much confidence in those men. I believe they live there like they live here. And that's what we have to do regardless of where we are. Regardless of what the circumstances are then we need to understand that God knows all about us. And we need to make sure that our character lines up with our reputation. And uh, I wonder when we start thinking about our own lives, do we dwell more on the blessings of God, how wonderful God is to us, and we're so glad God's wonderful to us, and we wish He'd be better to us, and and all of that. Do we dwell more on that than we do on our responsibility to Him? It ought not be so. We ought to be thankful for the blessings that God gives us, but that ought not to be what we covet. We ought to covet, like Paul, Paul said, and I believe Paul was one of the greatest witnesses that uh, the world has known. 
And yet he said to God, would you open a door of utterance for me? Would you, would you give me a chance to talk to more people than what I'm talking to? He was more concerned about his responsibility than he was about his blessings. And, uh, you know, so we, we look at that time when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and uh, the veil of the temple, the holiest of holies, ripped in two. Boy, we just jump up and down and shout, man, we now have access to God. We can talk to God ourselves. We don't have to go through an earthly priest. What a blessing. But we forget it's also a responsibility to do our own study and to get our own information about what God expects of us. And I'm just afraid too many times we dwell upon those good things. I hear people all the time claiming the promises of God about prayer. There are some wonderful promises in the Bible about prayer. But I'll tell you, if you read, every one of them has got a responsibility with it. The Bible says, if you'll abide in me, according to the words of Christ, if you'll abide in me as the branch divides in the vine, then you can ask what you will and I'll do it. You see, all we want to do is just say, God said I could ask what I wanted to and he'd do it. And uh, we forget that part about abiding in him. And so I'm just trying to get us to wake up a little bit tonight about our responsibility to God. And uh, I believe that the greatest problem that Christians have tonight, let me break it down a little closer to home. I believe the greatest problem that the people of Sunny Hill Baptist Church has, and the reason I can say that is that I'm not preaching to somebody. I'm not preaching down at Cornerstone, and I'm so glad of that. I wouldn't go if they invited me, and they have thousands. And I didn't mean to say this, but I've gotten on that road. I'm just going to run this rabbit a little farther. I've told you before that they had a, uh, vacation Sunday down there one time, brought sand out in the sanctuary. And uh, then they had bikini-clad girls walking up and down the beach. That's an abomination to God. And then another Sunday, they had Noah's Ark Sunday, and they brought animals in there, in the sanctuary. But now let me tell you about today. No. They put a big arena right in the middle of the sanctuary and had a rodeo. In the worship service and the sanctuary. I'd be afraid to walk in that building, folks. That's as, that is as ungodly as you can get. You can put church all over it if you want to. You can have the best preachers in the world go there, but that's ungodly. And that dishonors God. And I believe I'll get back to where I was going, that I don't forget my thought. I believe the problem with the saved people of Sunny Hills Baptist Church is we just don't spend enough time alone with God. Public worship is wonderful. God commands that. 
but you're never growing to full maturity unless there's a time when you get your Bible and you get off somewhere where you can't hear the television and you can't hear the telephone and you shut the world out and you just get along with you and God and His Word and you spend some time there. You'll never grow till you get to that place. And I'm afraid that's what's wrong with many of our people here at the Sunday Hill Baptist Church. You say, Preacher, you sure are hard on us tonight. Well, God, God, knew, God knew you was coming. He wanted you to have it. Amen. So we live in this age of information explosion. It scares me how much these little first graders know. Uh, far more than I know. You say, well, everybody knows more than you do. I know that. But first graders are so intelligent and have so much information available to them. And, and here's the problem. Human beings sometimes get so intelligent, they get smarter than God. They find a way that they think is better than what God has given them to do. That's one of the dangers that we face in America. I believe in my early life that everybody believed in the existence of God. I said this morning in the sermon that those men that signed that Declaration of Independence, they weren't all Christians, but they all believed in the existence of God. And when I was a youngster, as far as I could tell, Everybody believed in the existence of God. Everybody certainly didn't follow him. Everybody certainly wasn't saved, but everybody believed he existed. And even the old drunk and the old harlot was afraid of God. The best Christians today, many of them aren't afraid of God anymore. And Satan has grown so bold and... Uh, in spite of all the evidence that's around us, the trees that bud and the flowers that bloom and the stars that shine and the planets that run around in the orbit and never run into one another, you can't have that kind of a creation without a great creator. But in spite of all the creation and all the evidence of the creation, there's many today that I believe that I believe, that just don't believe that God exists. They've been taught that this all came in together, came together in a big bang, and they swallowed that lie that Satan's put out hook, line, and sinker, and they just discount God altogether. The devil has blinded many to the great evidence that's around everywhere that you look. Twice in the book of Psalms, in Psalms 14, 1, and Psalms 53, what? Most of you can tell me what it says. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And I'll tell you, the individual that doesn't believe that God exists is a fool. I can't call him that, but that's what God said he was. And I can repeat God's word. A literal interpretation of that is that the fool has said, no God for me. How many people do you know today? They're pretty good people as far as morals go. 
They're friendly people. They're easy to get along with. But they, in essence, says, God, you stay out of my business. I'm going to do what I want to. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to talk like I want to talk. I'm going to enter into the activities that I want to enter into. And God, you just stay out of my business. God said, that man's a fool. I'm very careful when I use that word because I want you to know I'm saying God said that. I'm not. God says he's a fool. And one day he'll stand before God. I believe the devil sold many of God's children a bill of goods and uh, they forget one day they're going to have to stand before God and give an account. God says forever idle words. Boy, this is a quiet bunch. When you, believe, when you have the idea that God's got no business in your life, I don't care how much you go to church, how much you read your Bible, you have no real integrity in your worship. It's not honest, it's not sincere, it's not upright. And we need to understand that, and I believe this is another trap that many fall into. Our obligations, our dedications is not to the Sunny Hills Baptist Church. I'm glad to support it. I'm glad to be a part of it. But our main obligation is not to this church. Your main obligation is not to the preacher that stands behind this pulpit. Even though God blesses you for honoring your pastor, and I can say that without embarrassing, being embarrassed because I'm quickly on the way out. But I tell you, God will bless you for honoring your pastor. He's not the one you're to look to. He's not the one you're to honor. He's not the one you're to worship. That's God's place. Our dedication belongs to him. Our, our worship belongs to him. And I want us to go back just a little bit once again to Jeremiah 2 where we were because we read of the two evils that those people had committed. And I want us to see why that's true. You'll back up to verse 5. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity has your fathers found in me? What happened? The fathers walked away from God. Do you remember what we've rehearsed over and over again? Anything that you tolerate, the next generation will embrace. Your fathers, uh, what iniquity has your fathers found in me? that they walk far from me and have walked after vanity and they become vain. They become worthless. And then verse 6 says, Neither said they, Where is the Lord? They didn't care whether God was in their midst or not. They didn't say, Where is the Lord that brought us out of the land of Egypt and led us through the desert? Look what great things God had done for them. But they didn't say, where is he today? And then he says in verse 7, I brought, I brought you into a plenteous country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered in, ye defiled my land. 
and made mine and mine heritage an abomination. I gave you good things, and you defiled it. Then I'm going to do just a couple of more verses here, right quick. Verse eight: the priest, that is, those that are to look after the spiritual things of the people. The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, that's a false god, and walked after things that do not profit. That's the reason God looked at Israel and said, you've committed two evils. Then I would share also with you verse 11, hath a nation changed their gods which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. I read that, and it could be a current headline in the Morris newspaper and be right. As we come close to the close tonight, if we move over to verse 31 in that fifth chapter. if that's where I want to go. It doesn't look right, but maybe so. No, I, I'm not far enough over. Excuse me. Fifth chapter, verse 31. I finally found it. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests bear, the, bear rule by their own means. Now, did you get that? The prophets prophesy that which is not true, and the priests just do what they want to do. But here's the sad part, and my people love to have it so. My people like it that way. When the prophets profit falsely, and the priests do things the way they want to do it. My people love to have it that way. There's no standard to follow. If I'm doing things the way I want to do it, somebody gets upset the way I'm doing it, I can change it and do it some other way. But if I'm doing it according to the word of God, I can't change. But I wonder if many people of America don't love it to be so. Could I say this in closing? The fall of the nation starts with the failure of of individuals. If we, could, if we get nothing else out of the message tonight, I hope that absorbs in your heart and bothers you all week. The fall of a nation starts with the failure of individuals. I ask you to stand, if you would, please. Piano player and song leader, come.